And I wonder if we could pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it's your word that has authority. I thank you that even your son, he was the word made flesh. Lord, we have honor for your word. But in our hearts, I pray that we would gather not around a sermon, but around your presence, Lord. Around you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are on a series on the kingdom, and God's put so much in my heart, and we'll just see how much we get through today. What does the kingdom mean? Kingdom means? King's domain. We are called to extend, to extend, to expand, and to express through ministry, to express the kingdom of God. What is that? His culture, his quality, his rule, his authority, his life. Everything about heaven, everything about where he is, everything about who he is. And you know there's a king of the kingdom, right? It's not you. It's not me. He's a king. It's not a president. It's not a queen. He's a king. And it's his kingdom. It's amazing to me that it says our father. There's this inclusive issue when it has to do with fatherhood of God and the father heart of God. Our father. But he says your kingdom. Our father. But your kingdom. Our father who art in heaven. But then he didn't say our kingdom. He said your kingdom because it belongs to him. Amen? This is taken from a commentary, and just explaining a little bit theologically, the kingdom of God is among earthly kingdoms today. Pause. The kingdom of God, friends, is the supernatural kingdom. It was here before, it'll be here after. The kingdom of God never passes away. The church will. The church will. I mean, we're going to be with the Lord. We'll always be the bride, because the bride will be with the Lord. But the church age will end. The kingdom of God will never pass away. It's bigger than the church. It's greater than the church. So the kingdom of God is among earthly kingdoms today. So there's a supernatural, invisible kingdom that is among us. We cannot see it, but it's there, it's present. It has greater reality than what we see and touch and taste. Because it made, the Bible says, by your word, everything that was made, that is visible, was made by that which is invisible. There's a greater reality to the things we cannot see. And yet we still in the first world think, well, surely it doesn't affect my mood. Surely it doesn't affect my money. Surely it doesn't affect my marriage. It absolutely does. So, the kingdom of God is among earthly kingdoms today, but one day the kingdom of God will swallow up all rival kingdoms. Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom has two phases, one now and one to come. In the beginning of his kingdom on earth, the kingdom of God is released through the church. I've said every week, I used to work for an agency called Integrated Agencies. We used to sell products for Gillette and Duracell and Oral-B we weren't those companies, but we were the agency through which their products were sold. The church is the agency through which the kingdom comes. Very important to understand that we are not the kingdom, but we bring and express and expand and extend the kingdom. Jesus builds the church. And so many leaders and many movements have become all about building the church. Jesus said, I'll build the church. What is the one evidence that Jesus builds the church? That the gates of hell do not prevail against it. That's the evidence when the kingdom of God is being forcefully advanced and the gates of hell are losing. That means Jesus is involved. Very simple, really. So it says, the kingdom of God is released through the church. The church is not the same as the kingdom, even though the church is part of the kingdom. The kingdom now is the presence of God alongside earthly kingdoms. How valuable then is God's presence? It's the greatest passion of my life, is the presence of the Lord. The power of God is shown now in the distribution and work of the Holy Spirit. 
However, one day Jesus will rule over all. He will share that rule with his people. In that day, as Revelation 11 says, the kingdoms of earth have become the kingdom of our God. So, what does it mean to be a kingdom person? I wrote this. To live our lives on the reality and the culture of where we are from, where you are born, and where you are headed. You are from another country. The Bible calls it heaven. Your citizenship is based elsewhere. When you're born again, you're born not of earth. The Bible says you're born not of the will of man, nor of man. You're born spiritually. So you are born, you are born again. The first time you're born, you're born of Adam. Second time you're born, you're born spiritually. So the place where you are born, the place of your citizenship, and the place where you're going, that culture, that reality, that's a kingdom person who thinks like that, lives like that, speaks like that, looks like that. Everything about him is kingdom. And he will be impactful in the church if he's a kingdom person in his heart and in his mind and in his mouth and in his hands. Because it's not your kingdom. The kingdom was the focus of Christ. This is what we've been going on. The kingdom was the focus of Christ. The kingdom is our given priority. Seek first the kingdom. It's actually our given priority by Christ. The kingdom is in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, it's not earthly. It's not origin, originated here. It's Genesis. It's not earth. It's not eating and drinking. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He brought about the earth. The kingdom of God, everything, all the invisible realities, all the realities that are made possible because Christ came and Christ paid and Christ died and Christ rose again. All those realities, Jesus said to the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go because I've made a payment. I've defeated death, sin and sickness and I have to leave. And when I leave, we'll send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, when he comes, he will empower you. And all the kingdom realities will come by the Holy Spirit. He is the one through whom they come. Amen. Then the kingdom is to be released. People say, I love speaking about the kingdom, but how do I release the kingdom? Because the Bible says when you go in Luke 9 and Matthew 10, when you go into a place and you lay hands or you speak to the sick or you preach, you say to them, the kingdom has come nigh unto you. So you go and you pray or you speak to them. Or you just love them. And you say, this that's happening, the kingdom has come unto you. And so people say, well, if we've been tasked as the church, as the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, to express the kingdom, to release, in a sense, from our body, from our mouth, from our hearts, our minds, to release the kingdom. How do I do that practically? How do I start? How do I learn? Because everyone wants to stand up and be the next whoever your hero is. Ken Grenfell Ministries International. Everyone wants to stand up and say, I want to do what he does. But he didn't start like that. And there's some very basic practical things. So how is the kingdom released? It's released through decisions. We started that last week. And I spent the whole week on just this one thing. Friends, how powerful is a kingdom decision? Who's the prince of the air? The devil. So what do you think cultures of the world are largely based on? The Bible says that the enemy has a doctrine. In 2 Timothy, doctrine of demons. He has a belief system. So a lot of the cultures of the world are based not on this. It's what I love about this nation, because it is. But a lot of the cultures of the world are not based on that. And a lot of cultures within cultures, you know what I mean, basic culture in your workplace, it's not naturally, it's not, if you just leave it alone, it'll go towards the Bible. No, 
It's not naturally going to go that way. It's just not. So how important and how powerful is the decision that you make is the way to think when you live and make decisions based on something you cannot see because God has spoken into your heart. And it begins to shift and change authority figures and situations and structures and atmospheres because of a decision. Very important decision the disciples made. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That's a decision. To the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It was a decision, a kingdom decision. Kingdom living starts with kingdom thinking. Kingdom thinking requires kingdom repentance. What does repentance mean in the Greek? Metanoia, what does it mean? Change your mind, change the way you think. When Jesus came, he came preaching what? The kingdom. It's the first thing he said, first thing he preached. When he left, he spoke for 40 days about the kingdom. He came and he said, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark chapter 1. Repent. So he's saying, listen, I'm here now. The law, the structure, the covenants, the old stuff, is still going to be relevant, still going to be prevalent. The word of God is the word of God. But everything is about to change because I've come. I'm fulfilling. I'm completing. I'm starting new. Everything is made new. I'm here. Because I'm here, change the way you think. In the old covenant, it was the rebuke of God that led to repentance. Stop, don't, must not, law. In the new covenant, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Everything's about a shift. Everything's about a change. I'm here. So change the way you think and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news of what I'm saying and what I'm bringing and who I am for the domain of a king is here. That's actually what he says. That's what he means. To make kingdom decisions requires kingdom thinking. You don't just wake up and be like, you know, I'm going to make a kingdom decision today. <laughs> Someone's going to hit me and I'm going to say, bless you. That's a kingdom decision. That doesn't just come. Kingdom decisions require kingdom thinking. Kingdom thinking requires kingdom training. You have to be trained in righteousness, the Bible says. We have this senses exercise. These are all just scriptures. You can go look them up. Who have their senses, their spiritual senses exercised through reason of use. Through use. Through training. What does it mean to train and exercise your senses through use? So that kingdom thinking becomes what you think. Becomes natural to you. So that one day something approaches you and your reaction is a kingdom reaction. You don't even think about it anymore. It just flows out of you. And in actual fact to make a bad decision would take some thinking. How many think that Paul would have had to stop and think, all right, how do I make a bad decision here? It wasn't natural to him. He even said, Philippians 1, 23 and 24, I desire to depart and be with the Lord. It's almost like he could choose death. He said, I desire to depart and be with the Lord. I want to be with him because the Lord has shown me things that I'm not even allowed to utter on earth. But it is better for the church that I remain. So I remain. He was a man of flesh and blood. He was Paul. What does kingdom thinking do? It invites the king into it. When you start to think like a kingdom person, you're saying, Jesus, come into it. But in every single decision, there's a kingdom option. And there is. And friends, I'm not saying be ridiculous. Should I go to the store? Shouldn't I go to the store? Lord, come. Just go to the store. You know, just don't be silly. But in every decision, there's a kingdom option. And a lot of the times, it's not what you think it is. Because our senses have been trained through use based on a culture that we're surrounded with. And sometimes when you're starting to make kingdom decisions, it's hard. Because the kingdom doesn't make sense here. So it's hard. It's just difficult. 
But it gets easier and easier and easier and easier and quicker and quicker and quicker. And all those decisions will have fruit. They have fruit. And that's how you know. When I got saved, I knew I didn't know how to think right. I'd grown up in a Christian home. I'd grown up with beautiful, wonderful parents, as you know. They are. They're amazing. So I was very privileged to grow up like that, but my thinking was wrong because of stuff I had done and decisions I had made. I was insecure and hurt and whatever, and I didn't even know why, and I just, I didn't know how to make good decisions ongoingly, and I felt like I was bugging the elders. You know, some people phone me, I don't want to bug you. When I got saved, I've never met anyone that bugged leaders like me. I was up in prayer every week. I'm up at the front. Just pray for me. I don't know why. Just someone touch me. Someone pray for me. Someone do something. So I went to one of the, actually two of them, and I said, I'm going to ask you, now I'm not saying you must do this, please don't do this, is what I did. I said, I'm going to ask you to make some of the big, big decisions for me for one year. Not little things, you know, should I eat and nutrition and German, big decisions. They said, why? So I said, because I need to know what it feels like to make a decision that I don't think is right, and then down the road I see that it was. And I did that, and man, oh man, they were hard decisions but I was training myself how to be a kingdom person. What is the one thing, what is the one thing that comes into a person's heart that starts the turbine, starts the engine to turn, to desire to make kingdom decisions? What is the one thing that impacts a person that says, I want to follow Jesus, I want to make kingdom decisions? Where does the want to come from? To steward over what you have been given well, to bless and not curse, to love, to not fight flesh and blood when it's fighting you. To let your reputation go for the sake of the Lord. To be mistreated, overlooked, bypassed, forgotten sometimes. To give more. Someone takes from you, so you give them more. To be a generous person. To be a kingdom person in the way you think. What starts that thing going? It's love. It's love. There's no power like it. If I had to ask you today, do you love God? It's a very important question. Do you love Him? Because... When you love something, you'll do anything. Jesus said in John 14, five times, 14 and 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Depends on how you see scripture and depends on how you understand God as your father as to how you read that. You can read it with him standing with a big stick. If you love me, you better obey me. Or you can read it as him saying, if you love me, naturally out of your heart, the desire for obedience would be there. Because you trust me. Friends, if love is not there, Obedience is right and wrong, good and bad. And it doesn't work and it doesn't last. How do you learn to love the Lord? Very important. All kingdom decisions will start on love. How do you learn to love the Lord? Obedience. Thank you, George. Exactly right. If you love me, you obey me. The funny thing is when you obey him, you fall in love with him. It's an interesting thing. He's training your senses. You're training yourself to trust him. You know that you cannot love the Lord until you see how He loves you. The Bible says, we love you because you first loved us. Why do you think I focus and preach and talk and my, my wife gets it all the time, anyone comes to my house will get a message or something to do with what does God think when He looks at you? What are God's thoughts towards you? Everyone says God loves me because He's love. He has to love me. But does He like me? It's an interesting question. What do you think God's thoughts are towards you? Until you've settled some of these things, it'll be very difficult to love the Lord correctly. Because the opposite of love is not hate. It is self. Because love does not seek its own. 
So friends, what is the one thing that starts the engine starting to move? It's love. But it's very difficult to learn to love the Lord. If you so cannot trust people, you'll never obey him until he proves himself to you. And friends, he's a king. He doesn't have to prove himself to anybody. Or until you see how he loves you. When you see how he loves you, it's the basis of saying, I love you, Lord. But it comes by revelation. How he loves you. Oh, how he loves you, how he loves you. That starts everything starting to turn. Even the love from people. The Bible says in 1 John 4, if you want to know if you love God, look at how you love people. The Bible says that in 1 John 4. I've heard so many people say, I love Jesus, I just don't love people. I'm like, uh, hold a second. Hold on. It's love. It has to be real. It has to be love, real love. And I'm not talking about a feeling. Love. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Friends, I encourage you. Learn to love the Lord. Because when you love the Lord, so many people want to love the Lord. Begin to obey Him. Not obey in a punishment way. 1 John 4 says, Whoever fears punishment from God that involves torment has not been made mature in love. I'll say that again. 1 John 4 says, Whoever fears punishment from God that involves torment has not been made mature in love. In other words, the way you see God and how He sees you will determine how you respond to Him. It's a fact. That's why I keep telling people, do you know how God sees you? Do you know how God sees you? Do you know that His thoughts towards you are good? That His thoughts towards you are constant? Do you know that it's His kindness that leads you to repentance? It's His goodness. It's His mercy. And people say, you always overemphasize that. You know, God is also a God of discipline. Of course He is, friends. But He doesn't discipline in the way you think. He's a God of love. Even in the Old Testament, even under the law, the way He describes Himself, I am slow to anger abounding in mercy. Even in the Old Testament. I encourage you, if you struggle with making kingdom decisions, at the very base, at the very foundation of your relationship with the Lord, ask yourself, do I love the Lord? Because sometimes it comes down to this choice. It's the Lord or that person. It's the Lord or that place. It's the Lord or this thing. And that's the very baseline of a kingdom decision. I cannot tell you how many times I've stood in that position. It's this or this. And it's very difficult to choose the Lord if you're just choosing the Lord because you know it's the right thing to do. It'll still help you. It'll still be obedience. You'll still learn from it. It'll still be good for you. It's still the right thing to do. But when you love Him, the decision is empowered by the Spirit. And you can say, Yes, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. I know someone else who said that. His name was Jesus. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. I want to speak to you about kingdom declaration for the next 15 minutes. How is the kingdom released? Through decisions. Very powerful, very powerful. Kingdom decisions lead to kingdom declaration. It's not the other way around. Kingdom decisions, very powerful. Then kingdom decisions, a decision based on the domain and the rule and the authority and the love of a king. Declaration based on that. So, what is the practical, say, kingdom declaration? That sounds very Christianese. What are we talking about? Talking about speaking. Okay. Two primary ways. Preaching and everyday speech. Preaching and everyday speech. I believe with all my heart, and I've said this before, that God is in the process of raising up some powerful preachers. It's been a long time since 
some of the nations have seen preaching, real powerful preaching, like a Charles Spurgeon, a preaching that can sweep over a nation simply by preaching. Romans 10.14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's Romans 10.14. Friends, but even preaching... The kingdom realities that can come through declaration still have to be empowered by the Spirit. Otherwise, it's just information. So, everyday speech. Let's speak a little bit about that. When they went to arrest Jesus, I love that verse. I think it's John seven forty six. The soldiers went to arrest Christ, and they came back without Him. And they came back, and the authorities said, Why didn't you bring Him? And they said, Never a man spoke like that man. Because of His speech, they couldn't touch Him. Not because of what He did, because of the way he looked, because of what he said. Because kingdom speech is seasoned with grace, but has resounding authority. It has authority. As you speak, you know the person that says something at just the right time? You're like, man, that's exactly what needed to be said at that time. It has such power, the timing was right. Everything Jesus came out of his mouth, everything was perfect timing. And it had authority. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Let me just say this. You can tell what the affections of a person's heart are based on their speech. <laughs> Matthew twelve thirty four. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I love the way the New American Standard puts it. What the heart is full of, the mouth speaks. You'll sit with a person for five minutes and let them talk. You'll tell what's in their heart. Because what overflows in here will overflow out of here. It's true. It just will flow out. Let's go to Acts 5, verse 17. It says, Then the high priest rose up. You know, it's the passage of Scripture when Peter's shadow was healing people, right? We all know that. We all know Peter's shadow. That's awesome. And we love that story. Well, this is just after that. Okay, so the priests and the religious leaders obviously got upset. That's the context. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. It just amazes me that when people get healed and delivered, and saved, and religious people get upset. I just, I cannot fathom it. I cannot fathom it. Well, that's not of God. They got healed. They got saved. Their marriage is better. Well, in the last days, they will be deceiving. I'm like, oh. They got healed. They got saved. Everything's better. God, good. Devil, bad. So, then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands, not laid their hands like we do. They grabbed them, okay? They took them to prison. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Common prison, it's important. They were in prison before. The common prison was like the way we would say today, you're not in your own cell, you're in block D with all the rough guys. That's basically what it was. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Friends, what happened there? I want you to think with me for a moment. What actually happened? An angel of the Lord came, took them out of prison, and you'll see later in the story, it says there were armed guards standing outside of the prison. The prison there was most likely a stone, mortar, square or rectangle room. One door, shut, barred, guards outside, not sleeping. Bible says, they were there. When they went, they were awake. In the spirit realm, this is going to stretch some of us, an angel came 
and took these men and took them out, the doors were shut. Did they walk through the wall? Did Christ take them into the spiritual realm and put them back in the natural realm? I don't know. We don't know. Jesus walked into a room after he rose from the dead. It says, with the door shut. Happened again in Acts chapter 12. It says, an angel appeared to Peter, touched him, the chains fell off, and took him out. And the guard was none the wiser. It says they went back there later. Just imagine, just for a second. They went back there later. The guards were standing there. And they said, yeah, they're inside. I've been here all night. They're inside. Open the door. They're not there. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? How do you explain that? That's literally what happened. It says, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Friends, why the temple? Because Acts 10 hadn't happened yet. Cornelius, the Gentiles, most of us are thankful for that day. That hadn't happened. It was still Jewish people. What else is the angel saying to them? Go stand in the temple. Go back two chapters. It's the exact same place they were when they got arrested. Didn't say, take them out and say, run and escape. I'll be with you. I'll cover you. I'll protect you. He said, go and stand. Meaning, most likely could be killed or flogged, which often led to death. He's giving them a command. He's giving them something to do which could very well result in their death and they have a choice to make. They have a kingdom decision here. Very interesting. But then he says, and speak to the people all the words of this life. He doesn't say go do miracles. Doesn't say go heal. Doesn't say go and speak in tongues. He says just go speak. Go speak to the people. All the words of this life. Go declare the kingdom. Just go stand in the temple and begin to speak. Begin to declare and then it says this, it's very interesting. It says, go speak to the people all the words of this life. Don't hold back. That word life, as you know in the Greek, is the word zoe. It's like this, the life that is in you, the eternal life, the abundant life. Why you don't fear death? What did that mean to them? It was probably something along these lines. Telling them about the cross. Telling them what happened at the cross. Telling them about the forgiveness of sin through Jesus. Because that was revolutionary to them. Telling them that they saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. How he appeared in the room just like they had escaped, how he stayed 40 days teaching on the kingdom, telling them of the baptism of the Holy Spirit when a sound came into the room and fire came into the room and they spoke a new language, telling them about when the Holy Spirit touched down on the earth in a new way. He's saying, when you go and speak, hold nothing back. Say it all. Hold nothing back. Don't hold it. Don't hide it. Don't change it. Speak all the words of this life. Tell him that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. They went out there and spoke all the words of this life. So, people say, okay, so what does that mean for me? Because so often the greatest fear, as we know in the world, is public speaking, and the greatest issue for the church is speaking to a stranger. It's always been there. It's always the issue. It's always scary for people. And you know why people, over the years and years, I think it's, I don't know, 14 years in ministry now, you know what I keep hearing again and again? I don't speak to people about the Lord because I don't know the Bible well enough. And I'm scared they're going to ask questions and I don't know what to say. In all my years that I've been speaking to people about the Lord, that's happened maybe once or twice when they come back with the Bible. And most of the time because they're already Christian. So they're good. And that's a debate for another time. 
You know what you need to know to speak to people about Jesus? Your story. Speak to them about you. This is what happened to me. Your story. Then simply tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. Jesus said to the disciples of John that came to him, are you truly the one? He said, go back and tell John what you see and hear. They didn't have to be theologians. He said, tell them what you've seen and tell them what you've heard. When they got set free from the prison the first time, and the Pharisees came and said, we forbid you to speak in this name. They said, we cannot, in Acts chapter 3, they said, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. Let me ask you a question. What have you seen? Think about it for a moment. What have you seen of God that people cannot explain? What have you seen? Have you written it down? Have you thought about it? Have you ever spoken to someone about it? What have you heard? And it's interesting, it says this. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. And they taught. They didn't do the miraculous that came, but they taught. But it says, when they heard that, they taught. You can only teach what the Holy Spirit has spoken into your heart. Please hear me, friends. Very important. For you young people who desire to preach. I grew up in the church. I could go and preach sermons that my dad preached. They won't come out the same because God hasn't said those things to me. It's still truth. It still has authority. But he hasn't spoken it to me in my heart. So it doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't have the same effect. Because he hasn't said it to me. And I've got to partner with God in his word and in prayer so I can hear him so that when I speak it, it has something of the power of the Spirit on it. Just speaking. It says that when they heard that, they taught. They heard from the Lord, so they began to speak. Then it says they entered the temple, then they came to look for them. The officers did not find them in prison, verse 22. Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing, not sleeping, standing, standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. I laugh at that. It's like the Lord says, let's just play a trick here. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. We read the Bible so quick, they wondered what the outcome... I don't think it's a little bit like, oh, that's interesting. They wondered, what happened? How is this possible? Who? Because they're not going to think supernatural. They're going to think, which inside prison, who's paying who here? So the one came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. You know what I thought about when I read that? I thought of Jesus when he said to Peter, because Peter was there. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yeah, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Here's Peter standing, speaking and teaching the kingdom to the people because his love for the Lord was greater than his love for his life. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Go speak to the people. Go feed the people. Go teach the people. In order for Peter to do that, his love for the Lord had to be greater than his love for his life. Friends, I'm not putting a heavy on you. I'm just stating a fact. The first world church is more scared about their reputation than these people were about their lives. It's a fact. They weren't dealing with, well, I'm afraid of what they'll think. They were dealing with whoops and chains and beheadings. But Lord, I love you. I love you. It says, and the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. 
I want you to imagine the words that they were speaking were seasoned with such grace, such sweetness, such presence, but with such authority that they had turned this mob of people in such a small space of time. They had turned this mob of people that anyone who came and took them abruptly, they would kill them. So that all the guards had to like, kind of, please come with us. Please come with us. What kind of power was coming out of their mouths? They were just speaking. They weren't ministering. They weren't doing worship. They were speaking. Because when you say what he has said, when you say what he's already said, in it contains inherent power to change situations, authority structures, people, atmospheres, everything. Because he already said it. So when you want to learn how to just speak the kingdom, tell them your story, tell them what you've seen, tell them what you've heard. But most important, tell them what he's already said. Because that has the highest authority, the word of God. Tell them what he has said. But most people don't start because it's very difficult, I'm just being real, especially for young believers, to start by speaking about the Bible. So if you open the door by speaking about your story, open the door. Last night we went out with the pastor and the wife of this church. And we went out with them. It was just a lovely time. But they just started to speak to us about the way you got saved. And without thinking, just stuff flows out of my mouth about supernatural. Because I was raised in it. I wasn't arguing theology. We had a wonderful discussion with them. Just stuff came out of me. Because it's what I've seen and heard. It says, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, very important, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Doctrine. Young people, doctrine. D-O-C-T-R-I-N-E. <laughs> doctrine. What will stand you in good stead when life throws its stuff at you? Not the last power encounter, I promise you. I know. I've had power encounters. I've had many. But you know what stands me? This. This. The Word of God. When you love the Word, I tell you, you will have authority. You don't do it for that reason. But you cannot be shaken because you know what he said. It has such power. It has such power in a person's heart, in a person's life. Some of the most dramatic change. I'm working with a friend of mine right now. We meet on a weekly basis. There's been such a dramatic change in this person's life. I'm meaning dramatic change. You know what we've done? We haven't met together and laid hands and... I love all that stuff. I've said, bring a Bible. We read the Bible. We've said, I've read and explained, and read and explained, and read and explained. And I've seen a life turned inside out. Some of the most dramatic change I've seen has come through speaking, through teaching. Now when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and shifts and alters things. He takes the Word of God that you've stored up in your heart like wood. My dad used to say, every time you read the Word, you put another log on the fire. And then the Spirit of God comes and, and He lights whatever's there. And some people have only enough wood that is in that little match. And so that little light and fire goes, it's gone. So they need to have it again, and again, and again, and again. That's why I'm just... Being very real, when I see some denominational people get powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit, there's so much word in there. And the power of God comes upon that man and burns this room full of word. And they are set ablaze because the word of God is in their heart. Friends, 
I just encourage you, ask the Lord, teach me to speak your word. Teach me to speak the kingdom. Teach me to release the kingdom. I have an accent, right? You can hear I wasn't born here. I believe with all my heart, and I'm not talking Christianese and jargon and churchianity that people in the world don't understand. Get rid of that stuff. Honestly, just get rid of it because it's not helpful. But you can hear that I'm not here. My accent gives me away. Your speech should give away where you're from. Your speech should give you away as a Christian. People shouldn't have to wonder. Your life and your speech should say something different. They think different. They think different. They speak different. They act. Everything they do is different. Are you from another country? Do you have a different culture? Yeah, I have a kingdom culture. I have a kingdom language. I have a kingdom thoughts. The mind of Christ. Because I'm citizens of another place. Amen? I'd love to be accused of filling Jerusalem with my doctrine. First and Second World War, there's a term that became commonplace, that's still common today, called the war effort. The war effort. There were incredible factories and incredible things that were done in the name of the war effort. That unfortunately many nations have lost that concept. Born the weight of incredible inconveniences because there was a war going on. So there was a war effort. Children working in factories in this nation because of the war effort. Because there was a battle going on. The results of that battle weighed on people. And it weighed so much on people that they made decisions based on what could happen. There is a battle that is raging throughout the planets, throughout the world. There's a battle that rages in the spirit realm for the souls of men and women. There's a battle that is raging. Now, the battle is won, but the people we fight for are the people that are actually fighting against us. They just don't know the truth. And we fight for them. I don't fight flesh and blood. I fight for flesh and blood. I fight for them. Because Jesus made a public spectacle of the principalities and powers triumphing over them, it says in the scripture. And there's a battle. Amen?